WBCRFM, Loudonville, Albany. Proudly owned and operated by Siena College, a Franciscan institution. 88.3 Welcome back to the Saints and Alumni Show right here on WBCO, 88.3 The Saint. I'm your host this week, Brandon Murphy, class of 2017 from the Alumni Engagement Office. And this week I'm joined by Julie Canepa, class of 1984, Education and Engagement Specialist, PBS, and the co-producer of Return to Auschwitz, The Survival of Vladimir Monk, which recently won a Boston New England Regional Emmy in June of 2023. Today we will talk about her Sienna story, Vladimir Monk story, so stay with us, we'll be right back here on WBCR, 88 Brain Through the Saint. You found us. 88.3, The Saint. Welcome back to The Saints and Alumni Show right here on WBCR, 88 Brain Through The Saint. I'm your host this week, Brandon Murphy, class of 2017 from the Alumni Engagement Office. And this week, I am joined by Julie Canepa, class of 1984, Education and Engagement Specialist uh, for PBS and the co-producer of Return to Auschwitz, The Survival of Vladimir Monk, which recently won a Boston, New England Regional Emmy in June of 2023. A reminder to everyone listening today that even though it's here on WBCO 88.3 The Saint, you can also subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple, and Spotify, and watch the complete selection of shows on our YouTube channel. Julie, thank you for taking the time to speak with the Siena community today. Uh, officially, welcome to the show. How's your week been going? It's going. It's been going great, Brandon. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you to the Siena community for having me today. I'm really excited. And we were really excited when you reached out to us about a month ago uh, to let us know that that you got the uh, the movie published and, and you won uh, the, the Emmy. And we wanted to find ways to highlight your Sienna story and Vladimir's story as well. And we're so excited to do it on the podcast, as well as the Saints Don't Sit on the Sidelines social media series that the annual fund does. Uh, but before we get to the bulk of today's episode... Um, I do kind of want to provide our, our listeners today a little bit of background on you and your Siena story uh, because of your belief in being a lifelong learner, um, which really began at Siena for you. And we're just about two weeks away from freshman moving day. Uh, so I'm sure you remember that time in your life as well. Uh, so, so first off today, you know, kind of how did you first learn about Siena and what ultimately made you choose to, to attend Siena College? So I grew up in Plattsburgh, New York, and a family of six. And growing up, um, we all went to um, the Catholic school, elementary school in Plattsburgh, which was St. Peter's. And um, because my parents had six kids, I think it behooved them um, financially to offer us the opportunity when we graduated from elementary school, uh, which was basically middle school, to um, choose the local high school of our choice. And there were two um, Catholic schools and there was one public high school. So um, my brothers and sisters and I were all split between those three schools. Um, my sister went to a school called St. John's and my older, two of my brothers went to um, a place called Mount Assumption Institute, um, which is no longer uh, around. Um, and that was a, a boys only um, Catholic boarding school. And, um, and then my other siblings and I chose to go to public school. And I, I wonder if maybe I just needed to gravitate back to the Catholic community at some point, um, but 
while I was growing up, my older sister went off to college in St. Rose, to St. Rose, and my um, neighbor, who was the same age, went off to Siena at the same time. And so I think somehow that sort of planted the seed of Siena in my mind. Um, my sister had a really great experience at St. Rose, and then she ended up staying in the Albany area. And I think maybe that is what influenced me also. Um, I, I mean, I knew a lot about um, the Siena community at that point from our neighbor who had graduated there. And I just felt like it might be a really good fit for me. And so I, I, I think I applied to Lemoyne and Siena and maybe one other school. And then I decided on Siena and couldn't have made a better decision. And I was really influenced by my older brother at Siena. Uh, he was, uh, he had spent three years here prior to me attending the college. And, and I basically knew I wanted to become a Siena Saint because of all those great Siena experiences that my brother Ryan had. And Siena always focuses on kind of two main experiences, right? They have the inside of the classroom experiences and they have those outside of the classroom experiences. And I first kind of want to break down those inside academic experiences that you had at Siena. Can you let our listeners know kind of what you studied at Siena and that influence and relationship that you had with Dr. Paul Murray with your time at Siena? So, well, I started out uh, my academic career as a poli-sci major, and I think I quickly realized probably within the first semester that that, for a lot of reasons, wasn't really a good fit for me. I had considered that I might um, pursue a career in law, and I I just felt very quickly in the, that first um, maybe few months that that was not going to be the right path for me. And when I switched majors um, and I met Dr. Murray, I think that sort of solidified that I was on the right path because I feel like he was just this, um, it was like kind of like the rudder on a ship, but very, um, very sort of in a calm and gentle and innocuous way, kind of helping to guide me toward um, funny, which a career that I, I feel like it has influenced my life, my entire life um, through the course of all these years. Um, so I ended up becoming a sociology major, and um, and I even think he his running career, his marathon running career, <laughs> influenced me because I ended up running a marathon one year. <laughs> so, and I never run, and I always have different experiences at Siena too. And one of my really close experiences is is with Father Larry Anderson, who's the college chaplain, and and I've known him for ten years. And there's also times where people have these out of the classroom experiences whether that be Habitat for Humanity, you know, they're on the Ultimate Frisbee Club or something different. And for you, you know, that was your experience with stage three and theater. And, and really exciting news quickly to share with the listeners today is that Siena has recently announced a new major within the theater field. Uh, and we still are keeping the certificate as well. Um, and I did participate a little bit in theater as, as part of a three credit class that I had. But for you, you were involved with theater outside of the classroom. So can you talk a little bit about why you joined that and, and maybe some memorable moments you had? Well, I I did a lot of theater in high school and, and I was um, probably the big fish in the very small pond back then. And then that's, that quickly changed when I arrived at Siena. Um, the way the theater was run even back then was on such a professional level compared to the high school performances that I had done. I mean, even just the, um, the auditions and, and the expectations. And, um, and so I ended up getting a role freshman year 
in, and I actually could not remember the name of the play, but I looked it up. It, the musical was called Celebration. And it was actually written by Tom Jones, who wrote The Fantastics, but it was not his, obviously his best known play. And it was very avant-garde for its time. I, I remember <laughs> the director. Um, it was, um, it was, it was, uh, Parents Weekend was coming up and I hadn't seen my parents since that day that they dropped me off and I basically jumped out of the car and, and ran <laughs> off to be with my friends and get to know people. And so there were my parents in the audience and I was up on stage in a leotard with this cast of characters <laughs> in this ensemble, um, in this, like I said, very avant-garde play um, with a whip and uh, the, you know, <laughs> you'll have to watch it on YouTube or something. But um, so anyway, I don't know that they felt really comfortable right then about the Catholic school experience, <laughs> but, um, but it, the, there was just a sense of community like there always is when you're in the theater, you just have such a camaraderie and you get to know mm -hmm. people. And I met a whole group of people who were not the same major as me. I would never have met them any other way but from being in the theater. And it was just a, a really great experience um, making all those new friends and, and doing that. And they were probably a little nervous when they saw this play, but I'm sure after the play, you let them know, hey, I'm also involved within campus ministry at Siena yeah. and having a really positive experience with that Catholic and Franciscan tradition. And, and when we sat down last week, you mentioned on how influential and memorable that time was within campus ministry uh, and getting that overall Franciscan liberal arts education. Can you share with our listeners today what that experience was like for you and kind of how that began your, your lifestyle of a lifelong learner? Well, partially as a, a career as a lifelong learner, but also um, I feel like campus ministry was the, the people that were part of the team then were just very um, warm and they, they made me a part of their family. And I think, you know, my first time being away from home um, that was a really important factor for me. Um, Sister Rosemary and Father Jerome and everyone that was a part of that community then, they just really welcomed me in and very warmly and really became almost like family um, that, that freshman year. And I, did, I worked there for a few years and it was just a very, really positive experience on so many levels. But as far as the academics were concerned, I just, I feel like I was the luckiest person in the world. I felt like when I was looking at my college transcript and I felt like it was a wish list for the perfect liberal arts education. I had taken, um, you know, uh, metaphysics and I had taken fine art courses. I took painting and, and art. It was, it, it had a different name, but it was like an art appreciation course. Um, uh, introduction to music where I got to learn about all sorts of classical music that I had never known before. And, and in addition to, um, you know, my core classes for my major. And it was, it just, there were just these little um, bits of, of things that I could sort of like, just get like a taste of. And then in my life later, after I left Siena, I could, I could explore those topics more on my own. And we have just about three minutes left until we do have to cut to break. And I do want to sneak this in before I kind of get to that last question. Um, you mentioned Father Jerome. Father Jerome is actually celebrating his 75th birthday, probably five days from now when this airs on, on the radio. And the alumni office is collecting 
uh, birthday wishes for Father Jerome, who now uh, is retired and lives down in, in the Sarasota, Florida area. Uh, so for you, Julie, or anybody that's listening that wants to maybe send a birthday wish to Father Jerome, just email alumni at sienna.edu and, and we'll make sure that that wish gets down to him. Um, so, you know, about three minutes left until we cut to break. And I kind of want to ask this last question to kind of continue to paint that picture um, about life after Siena. Um, and that's your role within PBS and some of those projects that you're proud of and the work that you've done with PBS. So my title is called Education Engagement Specialist. And so PBS has this wonderful um, offering. It's called PBS Learning Media and it's available to teachers and educators and um, students alike across the United States. It's a free um, online teaching program, um, which offers um, videos and lesson plans, I'm basically complete lesson plans. A, a teacher could go on and you know, search for any subject that they wanted to teach in any grade level, and they would find um, you know, state, um, aligned education resources. So some of the things that I've worked on were, I was actually fortunate enough to um, create educational resources to go along with Return to Auschwitz, which was really great because I knew the film so well and I was able to create um, discussion questions for students in middle school and high school and just create this really amazing um, resource for teachers to introduce their students that are in middle school and high school um, to, um, to the topic of the Holocaust. Um, and there are many other offerings on there. We have done everything from climate change to conservation, ecology, um, women's suffrage, and lots of other um, really interesting topics. And it's almost like you have your own podcast. You keep hinting at Vladimir's story and the resources behind that. So when we come back from break, we're going to kind of dive into how Julie first met Vladimir, how their relationship grew, and the story behind Return to Auschwitz. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on the Saints and Alumni Show. Your Sienna College Connection, 88.3, The Saint. Welcome back to the Saints and Alumni Show right here on WBCR 88.3, The Saint. I'm your host this week, Brandon Murphy, class of 2017 from the Office of Alumni Engagement. And this week, I'm joined by Julie Canepa, class of 1984, education and engagement specialist for PBS and the co-producer of Return to Auschwitz, the survival of Vladimir Monk, which recently won a Boston, New England regional Emmy in June of 2023. So we just wrapped up talking about Julie's Sienna story and her work at PBS. But there's another very, very important and, and deep story to share uh, to the listeners on today's show. Um, and in the beginning of the, the documentary, Vladimir Monk, uh, he makes a comment that relates closely to, to his sense of humor that, that you kept alluding to me in the pre-interview. And, and for those who know Vladimir, we'll kind of laugh um, when he said in the documentary, when you meet with someone every Sunday and you drink with them, you become great friends. Um, and that's kind of how that relationship began for you. So Julie, can you tell the listeners today how you met Vladimir and how your relationship grew and, and became so close? So, well, to, to that point that he said that about having a drink every Sunday, um, I, I sort of equate my relationship with him. It was um, like, like Mitch Albom's um, Tuesdays with Maury. It was kind of like Sundays with Vladimir. <laughs> and we really, we met each other at Lake Forest where he um, worked, lived in assisted living, but um, our relationship 
just sort of blossomed to starting to spend time together where I would go back to his apartment and he would tell me a little bit about his life during um, the Holocaust and German occupation. And I was a writer at the time for a regional newspaper and I asked him if I could write his story. And that was really the beginning of us spending a lot of time together. We really did spend every Sunday afternoon together uh, I would spend about three to four hours at his place and we would do a shot of Slivovitz, that's his favorite <laughs> um, plum brandy, or have a glass of wine. And I would watch hours and hours of video that he and his wife had um, taped for the Shoah Foundation and get to know their story, ask him questions where I felt like there were gaps. And that was what led to, um, I pitched a seven article um, series to a regional newspaper and they accepted and that's when I started working on that. And from that relationship became this new series uh, of newspaper articles for the Sun uh, and the, and the uh, articles kind of brought to light the horrifying and, and powerful journey of Vladimir and, and his family uh, from being a joyful young boy coming to age as, as a Jewish man uh, to living in Auschwitz-Birkenau. So for those that have not read the articles yet, can you kind of give us a brief insight to how that was structured and, and what those articles were detailing? It's so funny because when I look back now, it really, those seven articles were really the framework for the book that I just wrote. Um, so what I wanted to do was to focus on Vladimir's humanity and his relatability to basically every person. And so, Everything from the sweet stories that he told me growing up where his mother had taught him how to ice skate and how to ski and outings that he would go on with his father um, um, through the sort of the scary years when um, the Germans occupied Czechoslovakia and to when things, um, the, his family actually, his father tried to leave the country um, numerous times and was unable to do that. So um, ultimately they were deported to Terezin concentration camp. And that is where he met his wife, Kitty, and then was separated from her because he ended up being sent to Auschwitz. He was deported there. And, um, and they promised to meet each other after the war if they survived and set a meeting place. And um, Maybe it took a little bit longer than they both wanted, but they did actually reunite and they were married for 60 years. So it really just spans um, the, the whole from his childhood to liberation and um, his re reuniting with, with his wife, with his future wife. And from these articles, you know, we, ha we have that book that you briefly just mentioned that, that was published, but we also had the interest of producing this documentary. And, and for those who watched the documentary, you'll learn that if we had a minute of silence for every victim of the Holocaust, uh, we would be silent for 11 years. And in one of the, the scenes, there's footage that spans the face of, of Vladimir at the front of Auschwitz. And right behind his right shoulder is, is still a train car where millions had, had arrived at Auschwitz-Birkenau, women, men, and, and children. Um, and you do an amazing job of uh, providing perspective of the scope of the termination of the Jews and others throughout the concentration camps, um, throughout the documentary. Um, so can you kind of give the listeners a little bit insight now on the layout of the documentary um, and the information and the images that you collected throughout that process? So we wanted to tell the story of Vladimir's life 
Um, and I think he was actually a little surprised by that because when we asked him if we could accompany him to, um, to Auschwitz, I think he, he thought the whole documentary was going to about, be about our time there. And what we did was we, we told his whole life story because we really wanted people to be vested in him and to, to care about him and to care about his family, his relationship with his parents. And so that by the time he's standing in the camp at, next to that train car that you're talking about, that's basically recreating a moment in his life where he was 19 at the time and now he's 95 and he's standing in almost the same spot where he was had to endure the selection process, probably by Dr. Mengele. And he was separated from his father and he never saw his father again. So, um, and we also wanted to make the film without using any um, graphic images because we just felt that, that that wasn't necessary in order to tell the story and um, have it be told in a compassionate way. And also my, my partners in the film felt like it was really important to, for me to be almost Vladimir's emotional barometer in a way because he's very um, unemotional on the surface and plays his emotions very close to the vest. So um, I was often responding to a lot of things even when he might remain really stoic, but um, he was, we know he was feeling things and, and he did reveal some of that emotion during, during our time walking the grounds of the camp. And as we've learned, you were fortunate enough to be on the journey with Vladimir uh, back to Auschwitz. And it was also during the time uh, of the 75th anniversary uh, for the able survivors to, uh, to attend and go back to Auschwitz. And, and Vladimir mentioned in the, uh, in the documentary um, that the ghettos that he lived in were like a spa compared to living in Auschwitz-Birkenau. And we just wanted a little bit of insight for you about the journey back to Auschwitz with Vladimir and what it was like walking the grounds with him and going through that 75th anniversary with Vladimir. So my main concern, because he was 95 at the time, was for his physical safety. And we had a very long journey there. The trip was really only going to be five days um, out and back. So, and then our, our flight out of Montreal was delayed. So our, you know, 16 hour journey turned into a 24 hour journey. And I, I don't think he slept the whole time. And when we got off the plane in Poland, um, he had a, a moment and we were all very worried. And I, I was second guessing everything about the whole trip, you know, bringing him there and, and everything. But uh, he ended up rallying like he always does. And, um, Walking the camp with him was very solemn. I, I, I didn't know what we might pass by that might trigger a memory for him. Um, and one of the moments that did trigger a memory, we entered a, one of the barracks and um, he was remembering laying in a, a similar building, shivering um, and freezing during because it was the winter time when he was in Auschwitz. And um, that was a very, I think, a very painful memory for him. And it was hard for us to hear him tell those stories. Um, but we can't compare our discomfort to the things that he went through. And then to just walk the streets of the camp with him, um, I think I'd, there was a moment where it was very muddy. We were there in January, and it was very damp and cold and kind of an overcast day. And, 
we had been using a wheelchair at times to to you know to get him from one place to another when he was tired and he had chosen to walk most of the way and at one point as we were um, toward the end of our stay there we we looked down at our boots all of us and they were caked with this literally ash covered mud and it was just really disheartening and I think it it speaks to there are some movements um, right now. There was actually a protest while we were in Auschwitz to return the camp to a memorial so that um, people don't walk those hallowed grounds. And I can, after being there and experiencing that that day, I can kind of relate to that, um, you know, as being something that might be worthwhile. So, and I know when we talked in the pre-interview. And I said, we could probably do seven episodes with you on the Saints Alumni Show, like the seven articles in, in the sun. Um, but unfortunately, we only have about three minutes left uh, on today's show. And I kind of want to wrap it up with some final thoughts of, you know, you and your team did this uh, documentary for so many reasons. And, and all of those reasons were recognized by, by winning this Emmy uh, this summer in June of 2023. Can you just kind of briefly mention what it meant to be recognized for the work and the story that you were able to share with the with the community? We we already have had so many impactful moments since the um, production of the film. Um, we've shown it in our theater here, the Strand Theater, to a packed audience of 900 people with Vladimir in attendance, and he experienced a five-minute standing ovation after that. We've had so many moments. We've We've shown the film in that same building to 500 high school students who were able to talk to him and ask him questions and, and who we heard from teachers later that the kids never stopped talking about it. So we, we had had so many positive and impactful experiences that, um, you know, I wasn't, I think we weren't really sure what we were going to, what, what we should expect going to Boston. And I know a lot of people say that it's, a, it's an honor to be nominated, but I will say that we really wanted to win, but we wanted to win for Vladimir. Um, so now he's 98 years old. Uh, we traveled there without, he was not wouldn't, able to make the trip. And um, when they announced that the film had won, um, it was just we we walked up and and our um, director dedicated the dedicated the um, the Emmy to Vladimir and we called him about two minutes later and he was up and he was so excited and 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 in his signature humor when we got home and we showed him the Emmys he said you know how come I have to be so old to win anything <laughs> <laughs> so. So it's a much deserved uh, recognition uh, for the documentary and, and we're glad that that Vladimir was able to to experience that recognition as well. For those listening today, uh, the documentary is available on Amazon Prime uh, to purchase and to Julie, thank you so much for taking the time out to, to speak with the Siena community to not only talk about your Siena story and, and, and the work that you're doing, but also to bring light to, to Vladimir's story and, and to so many other stories that have not been brought to light yet. Uh, we appreciate your time and, and thank you. And we'll see everyone next time right here on the Saints and Alumni Show. Have a great weekend.